from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Building on a tradition. But it is, it's still a conservation story that we're real proud of. Meet another regional winner of the Conservation Legacy Awards as we continue to track the heartbreaking situation unfolding in the Texas Panhandle. He only uh, had the shirt on his back and his dogs, he lost everything. As one wildfire grows to a monstrous size, claiming land and livestock. But I can assure you it'll be tens of thousands of, of head of cattle. The latest from Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas, right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths, coming to you again from Commodity Classic here in Houston, Texas. And while the conference is focused on crop production and prices in the coming year, many are also keeping a watchful eye on the situation unfolding in the Texas Panhandle, where the Smokehouse Creek fire has grown to more than a million acres, now the largest in Texas history. And at last report, it was only 3% contained as other wildfires burned in that area. This is all happening where over 85% of the state's cattle population is located and the state's Ag Commissioner, Sid Miller, warning the fires have potentially wiped out tens of thousands of cattle. We have team coverage on this beginning with Yvonne Rodriguez. Holy cow. The small town of Fritz, Texas, now charred and covered in ash. It's kind of helpless. Fritz was caught in a cross section of several wildfires burning across the panhandle. The largest of those blazes, the Smokehouse Creek Fire, has burned more than one million acres so far in Texas and Oklahoma, making it the largest fire on record in the Lone Star State, officials confirmed Thursday. Add to that at least four other wildfires, burning tens of thousands of additional acres. It's truly heartbreaking because their home is a symbolic of what's happened all over the county here. Agricultural agent Andy Holloway estimates around 80% of the land in just one county has burned and 5,000 heads of cattle have been killed. Numbers that could rise in the region as damage assessments come in over the days ahead. As the firefighting efforts continue, there is one thing that cannot be touched by the flames. The community's been through this before and so, you know, we pulled together then and I know we'll pull together again. I'm Ivan Rodriguez reporting for Ag Day. And the scenes coming out of Texas are absolutely heartbreaking. And we want to warn you, these are tough to look at, but this is the situation right now. These pictures taken by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service in Hempel County. They report scores of homes are destroyed and thousands of cattle are lost. Ranchers in the area did everything they could to save their land and livestock. That includes Jeff Chisholm, who owns a 30,000 acre ranch in nearby Roberts County. The biggest thing we lost was our grass. Um, we did lose some cattle. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't as bad as what you would think or what we had thought it would be. <clears throat> so it's just, uh, you know, it's it takes it takes uh, quite a while to regain your your resource, your grass. So, um, you know, we need some rain. Good thing about it is it happened in the spring or close to green up. So we're not in the dead of winter and uh, waiting longer. And Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins me here at Commodity Classic. And Michelle, farmers and ranchers in the panhandle are going to need a lot of help. And you've talked to some of the folks that are here and in charge of making sure that they get it. Yeah, Clinton, this is the largest wildfire that they've ever had in the state of Texas. But USDA has already started their response plan, including 
disaster assistance and crop insurance claims for grain and livestock producers. Now, top USDA officials tell me here they're going to work as fast as possible to get help out to the producers that need it the most as the disaster total accumulates. The devastation and loss tied to the Texas wildfires continues to mount, while Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller says they're finally getting a break in the weather to help contain the fire. It's already the largest fire in the history of the state. Well in excess of uh, over a million and a half acres uh, uh, easily. Uh, this thing may end up being close to two million acres. Uh, so it's 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 huge. The largest fire we'd had prior to this was uh, 900,000 acres. So this is quite, almost one and a half times the size of that. So it's, it's, it's pretty devastating. Miller says feedlots and dairies are unscathed. However, while it will take a week to 10 days to compile total losses, it has been devastating to cow-calf producers in the panhandle. We can count the number of dead, but there's a lot of uh, cattle that will have to be euthanized. Uh, mama cows, you know, have their hooves burn off and their their udders burnt. Uh, we'll have to euthanize those. The calves won't be able to nurse if the calves made it through. But I can assure you it'll be tens of thousands of, of head of cattle. That's a highly concentrated area of the state for cattle. He says they have a hay hotline, his STAR or State of Texas Agriculture Relief Fund, and AgriStress hotline for mental health assistance or suicide assistance. USD is also gearing up to help. FSA Administrator Zach Ducheneau says they have several programs available, including the Emergency Conservation Program to restore fencing and water. Livestock losses will be covered by the ELAP and LIP programs. We also have the Livestock Indemnity Program, which unfortunately is going to be a prevalent uh, need up there. Documentation is important, but producers should bring in whatever they've got and we will work with them to make sure that we help them document their losses. We've also got the emergency assistance for livestock, honeybees, and farm-raised fish program. We call it ELAP. We've done some tremendous enhancements with ELAP in the last couple of years. Annie says they hope to get that assistance out in a timely manner. Our goal is still to get the assistance out to the producers, especially the lip assistance, so that they can think about replacing that stock the ELAP assistance so that they can think about hauling that stock to where the feed might be, bringing in feed from other places. Marsha Bunger with the Risk Management Agency says FSA programs will work together with Livestock Revenue Protection, or LRP, to cover losses for the producers that purchase those insurance policies. Depending upon the level of coverage, it could greatly impact your indemnity losses because that product was stood up basically for loss of weight but it also had that feature in there that if that if that calf was reported, um, it's part of the loss calculation. And Bunger says this coverage was also extended to weed calves, which will be invaluable for these types of livestock losses. It was a pilot in four states, including Texas. And so if you were um, an individual entity that purchased that weed calf, please remember that these death losses um, also, if you reported that, that calf prior to this fire, that, that will be part of your calculation for the indemnity. And while the wheat damage is minimal, crop insurance will cover any fall crop losses. Both officials say producers should reach out to their local USDA offices to get help documenting all their losses so they get the maximum assistance available. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now, if you'd like to help the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association is taking up donations for ranchers in the Texas Panhandle and in western Oklahoma. 
The organization says the donations will go to aid victims of the fire. They've also set up livestock supply points. For more, head over to the website on your screen. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, a powerful winter storm brings several feet of snow. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with an update. Yeah, another thing that we tend to look at when we get into spring, or at least deeper into spring, is what's going on with the winds. But here we sit with uh, the jet stream kicking as it is and translating down to strong winds at the surface. So the wind gusts forecast coming up uh, for Friday afternoon. I got the strongest winds back up into parts of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and then back down here to the south, extending where, of course, those wildfires you know, are uh, raging. You know, parts of Texas, a little bit into Oklahoma with some of those stronger winds. As you go into Saturday and Sunday, unfortunately, it doesn't get any better. You know, we actually start to see these winds kick up uh, through the afternoon on Friday and on Saturday. And in terms of coverage, uh, we start to get more into the 15 to 25 over a much larger area, and then 30 to 35 back into the panhandle of Texas. Oklahoma, and then obviously back out here towards the west as well, where you we could be pushing about uh, 35 to 40 plus miles per hour. Now, finances are a big part of the conversation here at Commodity Classic this year as farmers work to manage lower grain prices ahead of planting. USDA is forecasting a season average price for corn at $4.40 per bushel. It's $11.20 per bushel for soybeans and $6 for wheat. Uh, if realized or worse, those prices combined with High interest rates and input costs are causing a bit of trepidation ahead of the growing season. Now, finance experts say this year, producers need to focus hard on budgets. What producers can really do is, is one, focus in on your risk management decisions. 100% know your break-evens forward, forward and uh, backward. Well, the biggest things are understanding your cost of production. And then with that, you got to take a hard look at your whole risk management plan because it probably needs to be retooled compared to what you've done the last few years starting with Farm Bill. So ARC and PLC, that's a new conversation this year because last couple years it hasn't had much of an impact. It matters now, depending on your situation. Now the latest Ag Economist monthly monitor showing pessimism about the farm economy is growing. Now take a look at this. Economists expect net farm income to shift much lower to $117 billion. That's lower than what USDA is currently projecting. Costs are expected to stay high. That includes interest rates. Taylor Ann Washburn told Farm Journal's Stein Morgan the bigger concern for economists is the impact in the next year. Generally, the consensus was that immediate fallout was likely pretty minimal, but if farm income continues to drop in 2025 and beyond, there's some concerns that grow. Corn futures lost a bit of their steam on Thursday. We'll have market reaction from here at Commodity Classic coming up next. And later, keeping a tradition of protecting the soil going, we'll meet another regional Conservation Legacy Award winner in the country. Corn and soybeans were mixed on Thursday. Michelle Rook has this analysis from here at Commodity Classic. Grain markets ending mixed on Thursday. Arlen Suderman with Stonex is with us in Arlen. Four days up in the corn market, the funds are record short. So were they just covering some of those positions here end of month? Yeah, I mean, we're just getting cheap. And we get cheap, end users start saying, let's get a little coverage on. Uh, speculative funds have those record short positions. Maybe we should take some profits. All of them were kind of afraid of what that headline might be to try to get all the shorts out of the door at one time uh, from the speculative standpoint. We've done this before. We put in reversals, we rally a little bit, and then they come back in and sell it. 
question is, when will that be the last time be the bottom? It kind of has that feel to it. Well, let's remember we had that feel to it and crude oil went down to minus $40 as well. I'm not saying core is going to go negative, anything like that. But we do live in a different era now that makes it a little bit harder to figure these bottoms down here. Nobody in Chicago rings a bell when the last trade is in the low. No, and fundamentally, we don't really have a story for the corn market to have a sustained rally now, do we? Yeah, our best story is if it dries out in the winter corn growing areas of center-west Brazil in late March, April, particularly if the rainy season, the monsoons end early, then they can see some pretty substantial declines in yield. And so that's what we're keeping our eyes on. Did wheat just follow corn on Thursday? Uh, to a great extent, but it's the same dynamics there. We saw more strength. Uh, in the winter wheat, the hard wheat, red wheat, I should say, milling wheat supplies are tight. But frankly, Russia keeps dropping its prices and the Black Sea sets the market. And Russia and Ukraine are trying to race each other to the bottom. They need to sell wheat to finance the war. And uh, so that's still the problem. Soybeans down, new contract lows again. Um, we had poor exports and heavy deliveries. Was that the combo? Yeah, I think the heavy deliveries was probably a big blow to them. Weak exports are kind of anticipated, but that doesn't do anything to help you. Soy meal sales were really great, but we know there's a timetable on that because here in another month, Argentina's harvesting. But soybean meal's been hitting new contract lows, so that's been a bit of a drag. Yeah, yeah. certainly has been. All right, thanks for joining us as always. Arlen Suderman with Stonex, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. Yeah, just to revisit that temperature outlook, and we saw the winds earlier on March 7th through the 13th. There's still a lot of warming going on in and across the United States. Now, when we look at the legend back here towards the blue, this takes up a little bit more area during this time period, but we're really not making a break into the east with below average temperatures for the first two weeks of March. Now on the other side of this, we look at what's going on with the precipitation outlook. Obviously need some rain. This isn't a guarantee that we'll see a lot of rain over the panhandle of Texas or even Oklahoma where those, again, Texas where those wildfires are raging. But it does kind of help that situation as we need to get some rain. Even a little bit, it goes a long way across some of these areas where it is dry. Now also onto the east coast, watch another system work through the Gulf Coast back up here to the north and east between the 5th and the 9th. That's why we get a little bit deeper into the wetter than normal category for the east coast. The same situation on the west coast where another trough is going to try to dig through. So I take you into your Sunday, Monday and Tuesday of next week. Ridge of high pressure sets up over parts of the southeast. Now this isn't a dominant Ridge. It's not one of those uh, middle of summer ridges that take over the entire United States. Uh, rather, it's just going to anchor itself right here, uh, allowing a trough and some energy not to go through, but to lift up and over more to the north uh, with the pocket of cold air rather than through the east or to the east. What that does is any surface uh, feature, whether it is a low pressure system, a warm front or cold front, that's where it's going to go as well. It's going to kind of follow this gradient up here to the north and to the east, uh, taking a lot of the rain with it. So staying dry and warm through the southeast with this ridge, but there is going to be some energy out there. How about Delta? Colorado, mostly sunny, high around 61 degrees. How about Delta? Utah, partly cloudy, high around 61 degrees. How about Norton, Kansas? Sunny, high of 69 degrees.
We have an update on a court case we've been following for a while now. The former CEO of a Mississippi grain storage and processing company has pleaded guilty to fraud. 47-year-old John R. Coleman of Greenwood, Mississippi, was the owner and operator of Express Grain. Now, according to court documents, Coleman is alleged to have altered the company's financial statements in order to receive a state license, lied about the amount of debt he owed on grain held at the facility, and made claims to farmers that Express Grain was financially healthy when it was on the brink of bankruptcy. Now, the company did eventually file for bankruptcy back in 2021, something the Justice Department says caused widespread financial hardship for farmers in the Mississippi Delta. Colin faces a maximum of 30 years in prison when he is sentenced in June. And we told you about this earlier this week, a massive fire at a cattle auction barn in Rock Island, Illinois. Authorities now believe the fire was a deliberate act, saying it is being investigated as arson. Crews were called Saturday evening to the Rock Island cattle auction. At last report, crews were still working to put out hot spots caused by smoldering hay. There were approximately 23 head of cattle inside the building at the time. One perished in the fire. No people were injured. Coming up, a sustainability story more than 100 years in the making. We'll meet another of the American Soybean Association's Conservation Legacy Award winners next. ASA Conservation Legacy Awards are brought to you by your Soybean Checkoff, committed to production practices that improve sustainability while protecting the air, water, and soil, and your bottom line. Now later tonight, the American Soybean Association will hand out awards here at Commodity Classic to its Conservation Legacy Award winners. Agday's Michelle Rook introduces us to the final winner who hails from the South. Go west of the Mississippi River about 40 miles and you'll find Doyle Farms on the western side of Poinsett County, a century farm that started around 1920. Today the farm spans 2,400 acres and 100% of it is irrigated. We're just in a real narrow band of heavy rice production, heavy water demand on our aquifer, uh, so much that we are seeing that depleted. And that's why water conservation is so important. In 1985, worried about water availability, his father-in-law took 100 acres out of production to build a reservoir. It's called a tailwater recovery system, and the way you design it is rainfall on your farm is channeled in through ditches and canals to a center location where you can pump it into and over into the reservoir. It also helps to control weeds. Those fields are precision leveled to improve water efficiency while saving money and energy on pumping. If we level a field, uh, we'll put chicken litter in behind it a couple of years and try to build that fertility back up. Tillage is minimized and cover crops are now planted on about 25% of their acres. We plant a lot of our cover crops around the edge of fields where pigweed can be a, a real challenge. And we do plant fields where, uh, where they're not gonna be saturated. They also plant clover and pollinator-friendly habitats. Working with wildlife has become a passion of the farm. We were approached by National Wild Turkey Federation to work with them on their seed program. Together, the farm continues to thrive, a sustainability story more than 100 years in the making. So I have to tell our story in a little different way, but, but it is, it's still a conservation story that we're real proud of. 
Congratulations to Brad Doyle, the 2024 South ASA Conservation Legacy Award winner. All right, thanks very much, Michelle. And that's all the time we have this morning. I want to thank all of you for watching. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths from Commodity Classic here in Houston, Texas. Have a great day.